third wheel. Third wheel. Welcome to the third wheel. With me, me, and you. I appreciate breakfast. Yeah. 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 So I try and make it a meaningful meal. I I basically don't like to eat any meal unless it's meaning. Like, I couldn't eat just like a bowl of muesli. Uh, A muesli bar. Really? That doesn't. The bowl of muesli I had wasn't just a bowl of muesli. I'm talking like this was at bestie, like oh, muesli. Had, oh, like, love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like and and the um, coconut is like whipped somehow. I don't even oh, understand yum. how they do that. And then like, what do you call it when you get the two spoons? Cornell. Cornell. They like do that. Like, Are we on a, now? Is this like done? Yeah, as we're, he, on. Yeah, yeah. we're on. Yeah, okay. but we will edit off the ends. So sure. We'll just chat oh no, I think the bref- breakfast part's important. Oh. <laughs> I'm just concerned that nobody's asked me. I did. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, so first of all, what did you have for breakfast? Um, I had fix and fog, smoke and fire on toast. I had that for afternoon tea with some. What was on top of it? It was actually Orphan's Kitchen. Oh, you're not one of these people that mixes all sorts of spreads and stuff, are you? What? I just at Orphan's Kitchen? What? Um, I had a meeting there at eight, so I had a piece of toast and I can't. I think it was kimchi on top. Sometimes oh. it's pickled Brussels sprouts. Oh my God, I love kimchi so much. Yeah. Oh, for me, peanut butter just goes on its own on toast with butter. Like really? you just don't. With I, butter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a crime. Oh, really? <laughs> Let alone that you're not going to put anything on top of that. I just find it crazy how people put like Marmite with other things. Like those things nah. are just perfect on their own. Peanut butter is like mm. just on its own. Well, butter. I mean, a bit of extra fat. Never heard anyone? Yeah, true. Mm. I mean, yeah. have you ever had butter with something and it wasn't better? Oh, wow. That's actually a really good question. A lot of chefs that everybody eats when they taste their soup at about mm. 5 p.m. and they realize that it's not quite as rich and delicious as they want, will drop like four blocks of butter in it and then just whiz it up. <laughs> four blocks. Yeah, well, into right. 100 like, liters of soup. True, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> not a teaspoon, Charlie. Yeah. It's 4% butter. Soup. Yeah. Good maths. Mm. Sometimes. <laughs> delicious. How can one go vegan if there's butter in the world? Mm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Charlie's yeah. like me. Yeah, I'm like, well, yeah, it's going all right. <laughs> it's yeah. just a thing now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you eat margarine? Just went cold turkey on the butter, so to speak. It really wasn't cold turkey for me. Like mm. the vegan thing was a really like gradual, for lots of other reasons other than animals to begin with, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, it was more... Um, we don't really need to go into this, but dairy was really bad for my skin and this was really bad for, you know, like I had real mm. bad acne and every time I drank milk, it would just appear on my face. Like mm. lots of different reasons. Yeah. I hadn't even eaten meat for years. And then it just was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to stop having that odd thing of that that I do, you know, that I eat. And then it just happened. Mm. Just happened. Yeah. No, Turning I don't. Vegan just happened. <laughs> kind of, yeah. That's nice. That's like a sustainable in terms of, like a lot of people go vegan or make a decision with their diet and it's sudden and mm. it's like a big but if it just happened then it's kind of like it's fallen into place rather than being forced mm. out of or into place Mm-mm. and I don't miss anything like mm. I don't crave anything so it's like when somebody's like well how do you go without that and it's like I don't think about that and that's why this is easy for me. Whereas like, I think if you're craving things, it's probably not the right thing for you. Like mm. if you're like, oh, I really miss eating that piece of steak. It's like, well, just eat it. Like mm. it's obviously not 
for you. Yeah. 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 I, I was vegetarian for a year when I was in England. Or, no, I wasn't vegetarian. I, we only were fed vegetarian food and I mm. had – and I, for like three months, I didn't eat any meat. And then I had just started having like ridiculous cravings. Like, yeah. like something was wrong cravings, yeah. not just like, I wish I could eat steak again. Mm. So like every two weeks, I'd go and eat like half a steak and have like a few <laughs> slices of salami. And that was all I needed to, I don't know, it must have been like B12 or something. Yeah. It was just mm. better. Yeah. And absolutely listen to your body, you know? Mm. Like, mm. Yeah. Great advice from. Charlie from Koha. <laughs> <laughs> so with us today we've got Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and Nick, the founder of Everybody Eats. Welcome to both of you. Good to be here. <laughs> um, I feel like when we were downstairs we talked a lot about sort of like individually what you guys are doing, but I, I have no idea how you guys met. Well, we met on the stairs, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I wonder if you do remember correctly. Go on. I reckon that we met on the stairs of St. Kevin's Arcade. I think that I received an email from you or Jazz saying, hey, we've got this idea, we'd love to talk to you. And we met somewhere in St. Kevin's Arcade. I think it was the stairs, which are quite iconic <laughs> stairs. And... <laughs> Shout out to the stairs of St. Kevin's Arcade. <laughs> you shared your idea with me and I said, perfect, let's do it. Yeah, it was pretty much that. But there was one more step. We came to see you and we were real nervous to like speak to Nick and pitch our idea. Well, not pitch our idea, but tell your idea. And we were that nervous that Jazz was talking and we knocked over this glass of full glass of water on the table whilst we were trying to be like we've got this really cool idea we really want you to come on board and like let us work alongside you and then it was just a disaster and I remember you at the end of it being like cool idea like see you soon like and I was like no you really will see us soon we're coming back oh. yeah well it's good that I didn't remember the glass you know <laughs> you made more of an impression than the, than the broken glass <laughs> I've just reminded you Great, you forgot about it. Yeah, this is over. You know? yeah. now, that, now, now that I remember that. Yeah, shall I leave the podcast? We need to get that glass back. <laughs> um, and that was how long ago? Yeah, two and a half years. Yeah, I think. But when did you start? Um, February 2019. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Mm. How, how did you... Well, actually, give us the rundown on what Koha is. Koha is a non-for-profit retail experience that passes clothing on to our vulnerable communities and people living in poverty throughout New Zealand. Mm. So it's essentially a pop-up retail shop, but with no cost associated to anything that's there. Mm. So if people can donate we encourage that they do, and if they can't, then they don't. They can just come and take a couple of items of clothing for free. Mm. So it's basically a pay what and if you can sort of system. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Which is the reason why you reached out to Nick, because it's a really similar philosophy, right? Can you tell us about Everybody Eats? Sure. Everybody Eats is a charitable dining concept mm -hmm. we work with food that would otherwise go to waste mm -hmm. so surplus food 
that we rescue and work with food rescue charities and we turn it into three-course restaurant meals that we allow the community to come and enjoy and pay whatever they'd like for. So we have a lot of homeless and vulnerable who don't necessarily pay for their meals, but we also have generous paying customers who help to subsidise the meals mm-hmm. of the vulnerable people um, and pretty much everyone that works with us as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have the support of some amazing chefs and also the odd paid member of staff to run some of the restaurants as well. Mm. So cool. It's, mm. it's yeah, it, they're both such cool concepts and I can see, Charlie, why like it was a no-brainer for you to reach out to Nick mm. when, you, when you started. Absolutely. Well. And, yeah, it's the community that we try and reach, well, that we aim to reach are going to eat a meal for free mm. at Everybody Eats. Mm. So it just made sense to to add another service that could benefit them. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of, you know, it's the same thing. There's no catch. It's if you can, you donate. And if you can't, then you don't. Mm. But again, we hope to have people that come along that treat us essentially like a thrift shop or an op shop that do pay, do donate for what they take. Mm. And that allows us to just keep running what we do and pass on clothing to people that can't afford to buy it. Yeah. Why do you think you were so nervous the first time you spoke to Nick about your idea? I'd eaten it, everybody eats a few times actually. And mm. like, it was actually like, like a bit of a light bulb moment when I was sitting there one day that I'd thought of this idea. Mm. Me and Jazz had kind of spoke about it and I was like, we could actually build what this guy's done, but with clothing. Like, mm. and I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I was like, well, I wonder if anybody else will kind of be invested in this idea or like, because mm. we need to collaborate with people like Nick for this to be successful mm. because the audience is already there. The people are already there. So you don't feel like you need to prove yourself, but there's a certain level of that, I suppose. Like, mm. yeah, I wanted to look like, you know, and him to have confidence in what we were doing because mm. mm. he's not running some, I don't know, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Um I guess you were. It's a premium experience that Nick's running, and I wanted us to be on par with that. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So even from its inception, you you had a a similar sort of philosophy that you wanted it to, yeah, be as you said a a premium um, experience. Yeah, I want it to be more than people rummaging through a table of clothes that aren't washed, that aren't quality, that are stained. Yeah. It's completely different to, like, it's a one-on-one experience where everything's hung, everything's washed, everything's mm. checked. Mm. There's only A-grade products hanging mm. on that racks and that is what I think our community deserve. Mm-hmm. I was just about to ask you, like, can you explain a bit more about the philosophy of that? But I feel like you've summed it up really well with just, you think that that's what the community deserves. Yeah. Everybody does. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And clothing as it is in the world, in such excess. There is mm. no reason why anybody that is living on a really low income or, you know, in serious poverty should need to buy clothing. Mm. Yeah. It's just about creating a platform for those people to access it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because um, I think a lot of people generally in their day-to-day lives would consider nice clothing, I'm using bunny ears, nice clothing, um, to be a luxury and, Mm. and luxury 
is considered as something which is restricted to people who can afford it. Mm. But I guess what you're suggesting is that it shouldn't be a luxury. No way. I see it like shelter and like food. It's mm. a basic human right that everybody should have access to. Mm. Mm. It's Good. not a luxury to be able to get dressed in the morning. Mm. But it's not just about getting dressed, right? It's about getting dressed in something that makes you feel good. Yeah, as well. and that's why people come and shop and choose themselves. It's not just like us passing on boxes to people and, you know, like it's, mm. a, it's a level of dignity that's passed on and given to these people when they can look for themselves and try something on and mm. have that interaction with our volunteers. Mm. Yeah, and that sense of community mm-hmm. as well. How has the idea of Nick? How has the idea of dignity um, sort of informed your development of Everybody Eats as well? Like from its sort of inception, the idea. It's at the at the very heart of what we do. So it's it's what we began trying to create from the very beginning, and that mm-hmm. hasn't changed. So in the same way that Charlie is trying to offer a dignified retail experience mm. um, we're trying to offer a dignified restaurant experience so mm. we're aware that a lot of people in the community don't have the privilege of eating in a restaurant mm. and being served at their table mm. and being asked by a member of the wait staff or public or volunteer or whatever we want to call them how they're doing what they'd like what their dietary requirements are and g- genuinely caring about them mm. so that's what we wanted to create with Everybody Eats is not just a full belly but like a full heart as well and that feeling of connection. So that's why we don't do, you know, meals in boxes that people take away. Mm. Um, We ask that people come and enjoy the experience and feel part of the community. So Mm. dignity is is the whole point of what we do Mm. for the the vulnerable community and then for the paying customers we're trying to give – those people the experience of getting to know their community because mm. the typical charitable or charity model is that you have wealthy people giving to poor people mm. from a distance. Mm. Perfect example is dollar a day African child, right? Mm. So you've got, mm. you know, predominantly white people in wealthy countries donating money to very, very poor people in Africa, mm. but they never get to connect. And that's what, you know, World Vision are trying to do. They're trying to give you that connection, but you mm. never see that person. Mm. Whereas what we're trying to do is we're saying, come and sit opposite the homeless person. Mm. Look them in the eyes and understand their story. And then perhaps in some strange way, that person may not be homeless in the future because the wealthy people understand that they need to look after those people. Mm. Um, So it's like that's a sort of real systemic thing that we're trying to do with what is essentially a Band-Aid solution. Mm. So getting food that would otherwise go to waste and turning it into something meaningful. Mm. Is a is a band aid solution on food waste. Mm. Um, we're not actually getting necessarily at the at the heart of why people are wasting food or why businesses are wasting mm. food, apart from creating awareness around it. Mm. So we're just trying to make everyone more aware of each other. And we have stories of vulnerable people feeling very blessed to have met someone from the community that was not like them and that gave them some advice or shared stories with them or just listened to them. Mm. And we have stories of wealthy people being completely humbled by. The, like just by being in the presence of someone that they'd normally walk past on the road and not think twice about talking to. Mm. What are some of the challenges that you faced 
early on, especially in the sort of community aspect of it? Like, was there any sort of, like, resistance or, like, fear <coughs> from the community to, to mm. get involved or...? No, I get asked about challenges all the time because I think that's what most, that's a really good question to mm. ask someone who started a charity because mm. there are normally a huge number of challenges. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that what we do is easy, but mm. the concept was academically sound, like it was came out of academic research that I was doing and volunteering experiences mm. and a hospo background. So mm. it wasn't like mm. I was coming at it really blind. So mm. a lot of the... the way we operate and we still operate was very deliberate from the start. Mm -hmm. um, but to answer your question, the there were challenges in the beginning with the biggest challenge that you have when you're trying to work with the vulnerable community is getting their trust. Mm. So in any new location, whether it's Wellington, Onihunga, Auckland City, Papamoa, wherever we've been, mm. we have to have some link to the vulnerable community mm. because the way that they find out about things is in some cases different to the way that our other customers will find out about things and they need to feel safe. Mm. Even though we might look at them or some people look at them and think that they're the scary people, mm. in most cases they're not and we're the scary people because we're full of judgment. Mm. And so what we look for is, is partners or people that have access and trust with these people. So mm. in the first instance, we went and talked to Merge Cafe, um, mm -hmm. the Auckland City Mission. We got to know a few people um, that actually live on the streets that were um, very supportive of what we were doing and we got them to spread the word and mm. personally invite people. And that's mm. what we do whenever we go to a new location is we mm. ask people to personally invite people so they feel that they're part of it from the beginning. Mm. Once they've been once or twice, they're, they're hooked because mm. they're being treated in a really respectful manner and they're getting in most cases, a really, really good three-course meal. Yeah. So, you know, we went from doing 80 people on our first night to 200 people within, you know, four or five weeks. And then within four or five months, we were doing like 300 people. Whoa. So th the word on the street is a real thing. Yeah. That it spreads. And if something's good and it ticks all those boxes, then the people will keep coming back. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's funny that you say, funny that you say hooked. And it's just kind of like this idea of like getting hooked into a community, you know, like if you feel safe somewhere, if you feel like you belong somewhere, um, that's in, in a way, well, probably shouldn't use this word, but it's really addictive, right? Because mm. like you need, that's something you need, you mm. know? Yeah. It's a good sure. word to use because you're talking about addiction in a really positive light there. And there's no question that a lot of the people, particularly in St. Kevin's Arcade, that mm. we, you know, Charlie and I work with, mm. have been or are addicts. We see mm. it every week. Mm. And what you're suggesting is that they have become addicted to probably our most innate human um, desire, which is, yeah. you know, belonging, validation, mm togetherness and mm. that's what we're trying to do and I think the same with what Charlie's doing you know she's not saying here's a box of clothes rummage through it pick two things that you want she's saying what did you what would what do you need mm. what would you like do you want to try this on and that interaction with someone that they perceive as being you know wealthy whatever the words are mm. is probably more meaningful than the garments mm. absolutely <laughs> You're so positively nodding about that. <laughs> no, I am. Like, honestly, it's, so, it's actually like it's learning for me sitting here listening to Nick too. Mm. <laughs> you can cut that out. Um, 
But um, yeah, I completely agree. That's why I'm nodding because I'm like, well, yeah, he's saying what I'm thinking. Mm. Yeah. We we speak the same language just with a different medium, you know, yeah. like mm. we, we use food, Charlie uses clothes, but it is essentially the same thing. Like if I'm in a rush and I need to explain to someone that we're doing something with koha, mm. I will say, and this isn't because it's about everybody eats, this is because it's genuinely the fastest way to get the point across, mm. it's the everybody eats of clothing. Mm. Yeah. Or you could say that, you know, everybody eats is the koha apparel of food. Mm. It's the same concept in many, many ways. There are some yeah. fine details that I think, you know, particularly with Charlie moving into the role full time, you're you're going to navigate. Mm. But the the fundamentals are identical. Mm. Mm. Um, do you remember the first time that Charlie? Do you remember the first time you did a pop up at Everybody Eats? Mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you? Um, I think. <clears throat> to the point that Nick just touched on around um, when you asked around challenges mm. um, and gaining people's trust. it's mm. And I feel it, especially now, because we do lots of different locations and some of them are fairly new. Mm. But just because you're giving people in the community something for free doesn't mm. mean they just open their arms to you and it's like, great, I trust this woman, I can take this thing. This is, you know, like it's not it's really not all easy. Like Mm. it's, there is a level of relationship building and trust and connection that goes into those initial pop-ups and Mm. especially the first one, it was a real learning for me, but it's human to human, you know, Mm. like people don't just fly their arms open to you and just like, oh yeah, you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky. That's really what I feel. It's like it's although you're giving them something, they are still a human with feelings and boundaries, and you need to adapt to your surroundings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, if you look at a pop up that's weekly, you see the same ca- characters week in week out in many cases, and mm. there can be so much that can happen to that person in, in the space of a week that, mm. you know, mm. one week they might fling their arms open and the next week they might have gone through some traumatic experience or, you know, and they're a completely different person. And this actually happened to me last night with, with a, a woman that was dining at Everybody Eats. Um, we had a conversation two weeks earlier and she was very respectful and understanding that what she was doing was problematic and she apologised and she was really lovely about it. And then mm. last night she was just incredibly different mm. and you just I guess when you're working with people that come from you know they live on this woman lives on the street mm. um, there's just so much that can happen that can change that person um, mm. and I know for Charlie like it's it's challenging because sometimes I'll go and say like how's it going and I can feel that it's really really hard because um, you're you're absorbing all of these people's days and weeks and struggles and everything like that Mm. Um, which is seriously challenging in some mm. cases. And it, I guess I'm probably a year or two further into mm. it. And I also am in some cases fortunate to be able to like switch the emotion off and get very practical about things. Mm. <laughs> Whereas mm. I think Charlie's probably much more emotional. Um, mm. And I can, I notice that when I go and mm. say hi sometimes. Mm. <laughs> 
that's very true. <laughs> I mean, do you ever get a chance to talk to each other and sort of like debrief about how things are going and like experiences that you've had and I don't know, um, I guess like be there for each other? Yeah, you know? especially at um, K Road, I will always just, if I'm like slightly not out of my comfort zone, I, sp- I, I suppose, mm. I will I'll just head over and call Nick. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you know, like given the situation, if mm. I need to offload or if I need his support with something diffusing a situation that I'm out of my depth on, mm. then yeah, I will. And I mean, like we have contact outside of pop-ups. Yeah. Mm. It's normally in the moment. Mm. Right. Rather than, I mean, we've, we talk quite often about, you know, collaborations and what's going on and what might work and what doesn't. But mm. generally in terms of the challenges, it's, it's in the moment. Mm. Um, because sometimes there are literally situations that need to be addressed in the moment, you know. Yeah. There might be a guy with blood coming out of his head oh in Charlie's zone Whoa. and that need you know and not yeah. that i'm like the person that necessarily can fix that but <laughs> I'm sorry, i will g- generally hear about it um, <laughs> yeah 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 and try and hear about it and mm. to be honest like a lot of a lot of our volunteers are female mm. and a lot of charlie's volunteers are female mm-hmm. um and in some circumstances males are helpful mm. um and yeah there's often just very few around in some mm. circumstances and actually weirdly in most circumstances that involve um, friction, mm. females are way better. Like we put females on the door at Everybody Eats because males mm. look like security guards right. and people won't, won't be horrible to a female. Mm. But in some cases, especially if there's a male who's being particularly challenging, mm. it's quite scary for some of the females to, mm. to address it. Mm. So... Mm. Often, because I'm one of the only guys in the arcade on a Monday night, I will <laughs> mm. be summoned. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, that's still an incredibly stressful environment and, like, you're, as you said, you're taking on a lot of the sort of, like, even though you shut off the emotion when you're at work sometimes, as you said, Nick, you're still taking on that emotion of people and... Like you remember those stories and you take them away. How do you look after yourself? You know, like how do you make sure that you <laughs> stay okay? Um, I'm an incredibly rational person, mm. um, which is I wish I wasn't, you know. I wish I could tap into that emotional stuff more. Mm. Um, but I tend to turn those experiences into practical solutions. Mm. So it's like we can't have that happen again. How are we going to? solve that problem yeah and look in in many cases i'd probably be more effective at what i do if i could tap into that emotion a bit more yeah but i've also spoken with a lot of people that do similar work you know both in the uk and new zealand um and they burn out and they get really drained and they need support and and look i i do too um but i just i just have a, a weird way of dealing with it i guess yeah you've got your tools quite a quite a a left brain approach of mm. dealing with it um which isn't isn't always good but it mm. does it's it's a bit of bit of body armor you know yeah mm. yeah what about you charlie how do you look after yourself since you're the more emotional of the two <laughs> yeah <laughs> i really am um i really find it hard to what's that saying like leave it at the door yeah i kind of um i do take it all home with me Mm. And like, 
you know, you feel it when you leave a pop-up and there's been like some significant things that have stood out to you or situations or people like Nick referred to earlier from one week they're great and the next week their lives could be could have done a complete 360 yeah um how do I look after myself <laughs> I'm just gonna think now so you just cut this out. <laughs> I guess like one of the things that you're doing also is that you're actually realizing how much time it's taking up in your life because mm. you have just quit your job to do this full time, right? Mm -hmm. Congratulations, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that all have a huge difference in me taking some 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 more Charlie time because mm. um, for a few years there it's just been work, koha, work, koha, work, yeah. koha. Um, and now koha has got to the point where it, it is going to be full time. Mm. There will be, like I will have some more time to look after myself. I suppose I I'm pretty open with how I feel and you know speaking openly about my emotions or what I've taken from that evening or how I wish I could make that person's life what it deserves to be and you know yeah, yeah. debrief with people is always good. Yeah, talking to your friends. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think the the key thing for Charlie is that you can see that she is feeling the emotion. Mm. So you can try to, and it isn't necessarily my job, but no. someone, you know, another volunteer, a friend or whatever. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people that are in the similar position think that they have to be, and this could be me, who knows, think <laughs> that they have to be the strong one that can deal with all of that and mm. just keep getting through stuff and eventually mm. that breaks them. And like I know of people that that's happened to, so yeah. I think as long as you're open about it, then it's never going to kind of get mm. out of hand. Mm. Yeah. You say that you know of people that that's happened to. I imagine that like you're quite, I don't know. I imagine that you're quite connected to other people who have done similar things to to what you're doing. What was sort of like your inspiration? Do you have like in, I don't know projects that inspired you to start? What, what you're doing with Everybody Eats. Yeah, absolutely. So Everybody Eats was born out of research I was doing for a master's in green economics in the UK. And there were two projects there, the Real Junk Food Project and Food Cycle that essentially inspired Everybody Eats. And, you know, you look yeah. at our concept and it's not too dissimilar to theirs. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Adam Smith is the founder of the Real Junk Food Project and shout out Adam Smith. Yeah, yeah, from from Leeds. Um, so I met him and worked with them a couple of times, and ended up going on a road trip to Scotland with some of his mates and selling rescued rescuing food out of rubbish bins and selling it at a music festival. Oh my god, incredible! It was very fun. It was pretty <laughs> funny. It was pretty. Um, wow. Everybody eats is a little bit more organised <laughs> than the road trip to Scotland. Sounds a little um, bit more legal. Yeah, as we, well. do, we, we do. We do less drugs than everybody eats too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, certainly was inspired by that. Um, that's like the kind of the structural process stuff and the fundamental idea. Mm. And then a lot of the sort of more deeper stuff came from the university actually. I was really inspired by the stopping two times a day and everyone sitting down together and eating food. Um, Is that what they did at the university? Yeah, so we grow all our own food. So it's a totally vegetarian university. 
grow most of our own food and have cooks, but the the students also volunteer in the kitchen to prepare yeah. the food. So food is at the very centre of, of the university and wow. what you find when you have lunch and dinner together and no one's working or eating on the run or you know putting something in the microwave is that it just creates this incredible community and connection wow. and what I observed was that people were just, that weren't connected with food yeah. were all of a sudden thinking really deeply about the way they eat, what they what they ate mm. um, and the impact on the environment and all these amazing things were happening mm. just by doing what we're actually meant to do as humans and that is commune around food. Mm. It's really interesting that you say that. I'm about to take us on a tangent just so you know. Um, but I thought about that a lot while I was living in Switzerland because um, I used to work as a teacher and the way that days are structured in schools in Switzerland are really different to how they're structured in New Zealand because the lunch break goes from 11.30 till 1.30 and generally speaking kids go home for lunch and it's like quite normal for just everybody, at least in small towns, for everybody to go home um, for lunch and for you to eat with your family and um, those of us who stayed at work, the teachers who stayed at work because home was too far away, like we would all sit down together and and eat our lunch. We wouldn't have a shared lunch, but we would all sit down together and eat our lunch. And it would, yeah, we'd sit for like an hour and just eat. Mm. Um, and it was just a totally different pace. And it did make me think about how kids eat lunch at school in New Zealand. Like quite often there's not actually even a space for kids to eat lunch in New Zealand. Like you eat in the quad and if it's raining, you eat in the hallways. <laughs> And you think about it and you're like, that's really cooked, mm. you know? Like, it's not really... And, and, and you eat different food as well. And there's something yeah. really powerful about eating the same food. Mm. It's a, creates a, that, and that's what we do at Everybody Eats is mm. we feed everyone the same thing unless yeah. they have dietaries or, or they're vegetarian or vegan. Yeah. So it, it's a level playing field. Everyone, you break down those mm. sort of class and everything. Um, mm. by mm. feeding everyone the same stuff. Mm. creates mm. It's just another way of creating a bond or community, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sharing something. That's really fascinating. It, yeah, makes me feel really bad about running to yoga this morning and eating a muesli bar <laughs> <laughs> on the way. Yeah. <laughs> hey, at least you went to yoga. I mean, true. Thank you. <laughs> there was probably a lovely community there. I'm sure you did all the same postures at the same yeah, time. Yeah, we did. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I guess it kind of like plays into this whole idea of like individualism in our society as well, right? Like how obsessed we are with um, l living our own lives by ourselves and doing it for ourselves and it's all sort of connected into that, right? Like we we get, yeah, we get really obsessed with, um, I guess, the me culture, which is, which is an exclusive culture as well oh my gosh <laughs> extremely we've deep stumped, all of a sudden we've stumped the the interviewer <laughs> yeah i'm like do i respond <laughs> you can if you want charlie <laughs> i just got like on a on a very deep tangent in my head um but yeah hard what was um school lunch like for you school dinners oh my god i've got such a bad memory you don't remember what school dinners were like for you? Okay, should we keep talking? I was like, do we, do, do we cut this conversation? <laughs> um, no, I don't. I remember I hated sandwiches. 
<laughs> and I used to, um, there's always too much butter in there. <laughs> Back on the butter hay. Who, and I, who made the sandwiches? Would have been my dad, yeah. Right. Oh, okay. So everybody ate their own food at, at the school you went to? Yeah. Mm. Um, well, in primary school, yeah. And then when you go to secondary school, you can, you know, there's hot food wheat that you can buy. Mm. Or um, dad would send us, or mum, maybe with a packed lunch. Mm. Um, yeah. You just didn't like sandwiches? No, I love sandwiches now. But I like sandwiches. the ladies in the canteen used to like take the filling out and put the crisps in and try and make me eat it that way. And I was like, I still don't like it. <laughs> yeah, just not much of a sandwich fan as a kid. What would you have had if you could have had the choice? Back then? Mm. Oh. God, yeah. Probably something sweet over something, like something completely not, fulfilling or appropriate for lunch like a piece of cake <laughs> you know it's probably something like that i love that a sweet tooth so bad all right i'm gonna um totally change the subject mm -hmm. wellington yeah you're expanding to wellington yeah exciting it's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> what made you make that decision um I never really seen Koha being kind of an Auckland exclusive thing. Mm. Um, and I think I got to the point, well, and I've got to the point where it's rolling here so well and it's, well, you know, we're, we're popping up in 12 locations a month and it's going really well. And I just was like, what more can I do to reach more people throughout New Zealand that I know could really benefit from mm -hmm our service and when I went down there to um, meet with Wellington City Mission and some other people and people that had expressed interest in volunteering I was like there's such a sense of community here and I feel like I'd almost just met a group of friends mm. that I was like sharing my new idea with mm. um, and I was like there's actually no reason why I can't move here once I resi once I decided to resign mm. um and roll this out myself mm -hmm. and I think um it's like my child mm. and not that I don't trust anybody else that's ridiculous but um I was like I have the opportunity to move somewhere I haven't lived before that I've always thought about living since I moved to New Zealand 4 years ago mm. so why would I not kind of take this opportunity to to live somewhere new and also to roll out koha there mm. and reach more people, which essentially is always the end goal and kind of always on the, mm. like in my mind, how can I reach more people mm. with our service that I know need it? Mm. Is everybody eats in Wellington? Yeah, we have been doing a weekly pop-up there since October, but as of Sunday, two, two days ago, we launched three nights a week. So oh. we're three nights a week now in Wellington and wow. Dixon Street, just off Cuba Street. Oh, incredible. So can you kind of like piggyback off that community again down there? <laughs> the space that we've got is incredibly <laughs> tight. Ah. Um, and we've, we've tried mm. um, to make it work. Um, and in the space we're in right now, it's not mm. going to work. Mm. Um, but I guess in terms of like communication, it can still... Absolutely, yeah. So we can we can help to 
promote what Charlie's mm. doing and mm. Charlie can help to promote what we're doing. Mm. Mm. Um, absolutely. Mm. And look, we'd, Wellington's going really well for us. So mm. at some point we might change locations mm. and we'll find somewhere bigger and mm. we would absolutely consider um, a sp- purposefully finding a space that allowed for mm. Charlie or Koha to come and pop up. Mm. Mm. We were saying downstairs that you were having a lot of success in Wellington and that you really liked Wellington generally, um, but I kind of missed the part of the conversation where you discussed why that was as well, like why you thought things were going so well in Wellington. And I think um, the initial um, trip I made down there to kind of suss the area and suss um, where the, like where there were community kitchens and where there were places that um, the communities need us basically and who we could pop up with and who we could collaborate mm-hmm. with because we don't ever just do our own thing. We always collaborate with food. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got like a real sense of connection within that core group of people that are working in the community and from there it just kind of – I was like, this kind of feels like it would be easy. Like, mm. you know, it, like lots of my questions were answered and – Lots of people I've met with were telling me to meet with the same people that I'd previously met with. And I was like, actually, this feels like quite a close-knit of people that Mm. I could just integrate with, basically. Mm. Um, And the Wellington City Mission um, are really um, open and looking forward to us being down there, which um, is pretty special. And, yeah, they're kind of spreading the word. And I've actually had people emailing me since I met with them just been like oh we heard you're coming down here and we've got cloves and what can we do and how can we support and it was kind of those emails and those follow-up calls and things like that after meeting with those people that kind of gave me the courage to be like this could be a really good opportunity Charlie Mm. like yeah you should you should go for it Mm. cool I think turning 30 also pushed me (laughs) (laughs) shout out to 30 I love 30 It sounds like you don't love 30, but... No, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was having a chat to someone um, who lived in Wellington and we were talking about that idea of, like, community as well and this idea that, like, one, just because it's a smaller city as well, but also, like, it's geography, this idea that, like, because it's sort of like a basin that everybody just sort of, like, floods... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> into the city and so everybody just ends up knowing everybody so this whole idea of like being a community and like feeling like you belong is mm, maybe like less foreign to people in Wellington I don't know maybe that's wishful thinking I, I totally agree with that mm. I think if you looked at the flows of humans it would be everyone coming from out and going in and going back out and going back in whereas if mm. you look at Auckland you know, Auckland's obviously made up of sort of four cities. It'd just be all these squiggles that are going everywhere mm. and the crossover would be a lot smaller. Mm. So I think there's there's a huge sense of community in Wellington. Mm. Um, and I know for us, like, everything has just clicked down there. Mm. Um, and when things click, when you're doing challenging work, like running a charity, you go where it clicks. Mm. It feels good. When it clicks. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, we're in such a positive buzz, but I have uh, a question about something which is possibly um, not such a positive buzz. COVID. <laughs> how how was COVID for your charities? Like, what did you? Because obviously, with both your models, the whole idea is like kanohi, kanohi, like face to face, seeing people and talking to them. Not possible during lockdown. How did you sort of keep the community spirit and keep things up during lockdown times last year? Um, so everybody eats is obviously all about bringing people into restaurants, which mm. is impossible um, in level three and four. Mm. Um, so challenging, but we were able to do a few other things. Um, we started doing providing meals for vulnerable families in South Auckland, mm -hmm. uh, which was really positive, and we ended up doing that for the majority of last year, actually. Um, but, yeah, because we're pretty lean as a charity, um, mm. it wasn't crippling for us. Mm. Um, it was kind of just like pushing pause for a period of time and also allowing time to take a few deep breaths, be a little bit more strategic about what we're doing. Mm. Um, but what? for sure, from a momentum, morale point of view... It wasn't easy. Mm. What do you mean you're lean as a charity? I just don't know what that. What you mean with that? Lean as in we're lightweight. Um, so we don't have a huge amount of expenses. Mm. Um, we don't employ a whole lot of people. We don't mm. rent large spaces, mm. offices, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Our overheads are very low. Yeah, um, yeah. So we, we could survive with wage subsidies and, yeah. and things like that. Um, yeah. Also what happened in COVID, which is worth mentioning, is a lot of money in the philanthropic space was channeled towards food oh. because that's what was seen as, an seen as great, seen as being the most critical thing. Mm. Um, so we ended up receiving grants that we kind of didn't apply for wow. because we were known as an organisation that passed food on to people mm. that needed it. Mm. Um, so that was also you know, a bit of a silver lining for us. Mm. Um, what about you, Charlie? That Yeah. Um, we were pretty fortunate in the way um, we have quite a good working relationship with LifeWise mm -hmm. and they um, had housed a lot of people that were sleeping rough during that time and they were still delivering um, food to them and checking in on them because mm. this is quite a huge adaption going from living on the streets to living in a room mm. um so there, there was often people in their key workers checking on them and we were able to pass clothing on to lifewise that then passed the clothing on to our community that had been mm. housed um so again not that like kind of personal one-on-one -on -one experience but still being able to pass something quite essential on to people during that time mm. but also for me i think um in the way it's kind of been a blessing for koha is Brands have a lot of dead stock now mm. um, that they're not going to sell. And um, that's kind of come our way. So I feel like the corporate sponsors and partnerships that we gained in that six months, maybe eight months, um, I think the virus has a lot to do with that. Mm. I feel like – I think to Nick's point as well, it allowed people to take a few deep breaths – and actually have a bit more time to 
step back and look at the bigger picture and deck stop being one thing, but actually how can we help people that need us also? Yeah. Um, and yeah, just being able to make more connections and actually having more time at home, you know, in front of my laptop, as sad as that sounds, but to email and make connections and, you know, to, to try and build those corporate sponsors. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I bet there are a few um, wealthy people clearing out their closets. Yeah. Um, well, it was like one of the, some, yeah. Some nice stuff that mm. wanted to get rid of it. Yeah. I feel like that was probably um, a task that everyone done during lockdown. Yeah. Hopefully not filling it up with online shopping. Yeah, well, that's the problem. In moments of um, boredom and... <laughs> Weakness. Yeah. Um, Real good factors. Yeah. Yeah. Our relationship to clothing is pretty wacky. Like, and I have none. Society. <laughs> it doesn't fulfill me in any way. Like, in like going and buying something really expensive would be the guilt, and like it just wouldn't fulfill me at all. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What What goes like when you personally? find or purchase clothing what are the sort of like factors that are important to you i haven't purchased any clothing in three years what whoa okay i wish i could say i haven't purchased any food in three years (laughs) (laughs) that'd be like the appropriate um response right i'm like i'm on a mission to yeah well i mean you literally are on a mission that's what Mm. how apparel is I just I couldn't now like when I see the platform we've created is so amazing but the problem is so big Mm. and like I I sometimes wish I could unsee the things I've seen when it comes to the fashion industry and what it's doing to our planet and Mm. yeah and the people that are working in the industry that are just yeah Mm. um yeah. Sorry, I think I just I lost my trailer. No, no, no. I I think uh, you're sort of linking into a thought that I was having, which is that yeah, as Nick said earlier, that this is sort of like a band aid solution to a much bigger problem. Um, People think passing clothing on to us is fixing the problem. Oh, it's absolutely not fixing the problem. Mm. Like. It's such a huge um, conversation and education piece that we are like, we're not fixing the solution here. Like this goes way beyond us. Yeah. Yeah. What um, does fulfil you and what if you were going to spend a large amount of money on something, would it be? Oh, a flight back to England. Oh. Hang on, no, let me think about that. Um, are you talking about clothing specifically? Or just anything? No, 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 anything. Anything. Mm. Mm. While you're thinking, because mm. I can tell that you need to think about it. Yeah, And I this do. is amazing that you need to think about it because it means that you're, you know, not moved by money, <laughs> which is you could think of something that wasn't monetary <laughs> that fulfills you. Um, but I have a strange relationship with food and that I actually spend a huge amount of my disposable income Mm. on food because Mm. I'm so passionate about it. Mm. And 
it's a weird thing because Charlie's, I think, passionate about clothing, but mm. because of the nature of the work she does, knows that consuming the clothing in the way that other people do, it's per perpetuating this problem. Whereas this is where it's quite different. Mm. We're advocating stopping food waste. So by consuming food, I'm not... <laughs> I, you know, like I'm not mm. perpetuating the problem, but <laughs> if you looked at it, the two side by side, I'm like consuming a huge amount of often mm. expensive food in, in restaurants mm. as well. Mm. Um, I feel like there's a significant difference there though because, I mean, you're also a chef. No, you're not a chef? Are you a cook in any sense yeah, of the I word? Am. Yeah, yeah, I cook, but I'm not a chef. I'm not okay. a trained chef, but, but you, I get involved in cooking stuff. <laughs> Like a further than just for yourself in your home. Yeah, I, just through the work I do, I've become pretty familiar with how commercial kitchens work and stuff right. like that. But I'm not a chef. You're not a chef. No. What made me think that you were a chef? Everyone thinks I'm a chef. <gasps> do you enjoy cooking? Yeah, not commercially. Mm. I like coming up with with ideas, but I don't necessarily. I find like... that really, I find that really fascinating because, like, Charlie, you're not like a fashion designer either. You know, like neither of you came at this from. The, the background of like, I work while well, you kind of did work in. Uh, I'm a restaurateur. Okay, Charlie... you're going to have to tell the audience what a restaurateur is because yeah. that uh, means, <laughs> means nothing to me right now. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> a restaurateur is, is a, I guess, an owner or a, a, a runner of restaurants. Mm. Um, but you've been working in fashion for yeah. a period of time. So yeah. we're both from, from within the industry. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. To a large extent, well, for me certainly, and I would assume for Charlie, being in the industry and understanding, mm. it has made me understand the problem, Yeah, which has possibly dictated the solution that we're rolling out to yeah. try and make it mm. better. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Have you thought about what you're going to spend your... Large amount of money. On. Oh God, sorry, Nick. I got. I was listening to you, and I, I was completely <laughs> gone out of my brain. Jewelry. Um, no. Mm. If I had like a large amount of money, I would like like having more than a room in a house. Mm. That's coming from a really privileged place, but like having more space, like to to actually own a house would be. Or mm. to have more space would be really nice. Mm. Yeah. More space to store the clothes? I know you're looking <laughs> yeah, for storage exactly. space. Yeah, exactly. I feel like <laughs> that's a perfect little segue to <laughs> talk about what you're doing with Koha right now. Um, and, you know, because you are needing more space, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, we've completely outgrown our current space. Um and it's been like amazing, so good. Like yeah. before um, Flight Coffee gave us some space out the back of their office, it was like there was boxes in everybody's house and having that at home is no good for you. Like mm. having donations come to your house and being able to sort them at any given hour you're at home is not good. Mm. Like it's it was way too much and it like it got to the point where like if – I just go home and do it all night long. You know, it was so bad. You, I have mm. like, I really have to keep that separate. Mm. Um, so yeah, we are on the hunt for some new storage space. Mm. 
And um, you're also um, – you've got a van, mm. which you got last year. Last yeah. Last year you got the van? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you need another van? Is that correct? Am yeah. I... Um, we're running a give a little at the minute to try and raise enough to buy another van so mm. our current van can come to Wellington and we can buy a second van for Auckland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Along with a much bigger storage space, yeah. yeah, yeah, just the next part of the process for us. It's yeah, we can't keep running like we do today. The rickety ladder and the small space we've got is not really cutting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing at the moment? with everybody eats? What's the sort of? Uh, so yeah, we just launched in Wellington. Three. Yeah. Well, we've launched two more days in Wellington. Yeah. Um, I'm currently looking for another Auckland restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, because we at the moment you do, you're up in Jamey Street every Monday. Yep. And then you've got a permanent space in Onihunga. Five days a week, yeah. Yep. So we also have a pop-up in Papamoa. That's right. Uh, on Monday nights as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, I am looking for a, another restaurant in Auckland mm-hmm. and we would like to trial Everybody Eats in South Auckland, mm. uh, probably do a pop-up in South Auckland. So mm-hmm. hopefully this year we can set up another permanent in Auckland and trial the concept in South Auckland, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, enough for this year. Mm, it will be, yeah. be a successful year if we can do that. Yeah. Growth. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Can I ask a question? Yes, go. I don't know about South Auckland. It, are you um, any restaurants in the? I'm going to Pukekohe tomorrow, which isn't Ooh. really South Auckland. Um, I mean, it's very South Auckland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty much Waikato. Um, yeah. <laughs> to look at a restaurant that has some interest in us doing a pop up there, cool. um, which is exciting. Um, we've got a little bit of funding to do something in South Auckland. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't feel like we need to do pop-ups anymore to trial the concept because everywhere that we've been so far, in one way or another, the concept has worked. Every yeah. site's got their slight differences. Mm. Um, but because South Auckland is, and this is through research that we've done, considered to be considerably different to other parts of New Zealand um, or at least the parts of New Zealand that we have operated in, yeah. um, we think that we probably need to trial the concept. Yeah. So, And we've had feedback uh, from a lot of people that have come from South Auckland to our restaurant in Unihunga about the mm. concept and mm-hmm. the sort of food we serve. So that's just um, one more little test that we need to do. Um, but other locations, we'd be comfortable just going for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. That is, isn't it? Mm. Well, we'll let you know as soon as. Yeah. As soon as there's news. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. Keep an eye out for a corner as well. A corner site. Corner for us. <laughs> oh, of, of the site, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Keep a nook free for Koha. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we need. <laughs> oh. Um. Have we written haiku? I have. I have? Yes. I even messaged Nick about this earlier in the week. I was like, have you done yours? I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to hear your haiku. Have you got them? Have you 
Don't yeah. tell me you've memorised them because that would be no. crazy. No, okay, on good. my phone. But okay. um, is it going to be really annoying if I use the bathroom? No, you go use the bathroom. Me and Nick can chat. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. totally fine. Sorry, I just don't think I can. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. You go to the bathroom. She's just nervous that she's going <laughs> to wet herself when she hears my haiku. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to hold off on your haiku. In the meantime, we can very quickly chat about um, you because I feel like I've not asked you much about yourself. Did you grow up in Auckland? Yes. Yeah. Lived in Auckland until I was 18. Mm. Went to university in Christchurch for three years and then pretty much didn't live in Auckland again until I was about... 29 mm. and I've been here since. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What part of Auckland did you grow up in? St. Helier's. Oh, privileged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went to, just just for some context, yeah. I went to King's Prep and College my whole oh life. Oh my gosh. So I wow. come from, from that world, Yeah. Um, which I often end up talking about when I do stuff like this. Yeah. Um, which has provided me with a lot of tools and networks and stuff like that to make things slightly easier. Yeah, that cultural but capital A to be able to sort of... It's just unbelievable when you go to those schools how if you need something, you know someone, you pick up the phone and the problem's solved. And yeah. it's just extremely lucky. But on the flip side of that, I've had to really unlearn a lot of um, what those schools and institutions teach you around privilege and yeah. everything like that. Um, yeah. And that's been a journey, you know, um, mm. and I feel like I've I've unlearned a lot of the stuff mm. that would make me not be able to operate in this space very well. Mm. Um, but it's still there, you know, like, mm. and a lot of my friends are from that world as well, mm. but I have a lot of new friends that, that are from, from a completely different worlds. Mm. Mm. So we were just talking about um, the fact that Nick went to King's. Nick's privilege, basically. Yeah, Nick's privilege. That's okay. what we're calling this podcast. <laughs> it's probably um, good that I – is King's a private school? It's like the private school. I think it's – Oh, I think okay. it's like – is it the most expensive private school in the country? I'm not sure, but it's certainly widely recognised as being where the dickheads come from. I heard from an inside source that there's a like staff bar essentially with like a whiskey bottle on one of those. What are they called? The things that you like turn the whiskey yeah. bottle to pour it. I heard it from a reputable source, someone who I very, really trust. So it's it, kings. That sounds very, very plausible. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, yeah, that's right. You were haiku. reading haiku to one another. Do you want to go first, Nick? Yeah, so I'm just going to – I'm typically someone when I do something like this that will want to explain Please it do. even before and after, but I was Please. thinking that maybe I would just do it and then <gasps> we'll see what happens. Okay. Okay? Going to jump in. Well, really? So I'd never done a haiku before. I didn't really know what one was, and I did a bit of reading because, you know, I didn't want to do it yeah. terribly. Yeah. And a I'm researcher. aware that um, – I've done the five, seven, five syllable thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm aware that there is meant to be some reference to nature mm-hmm. generally. There's a reference to, <laughs> there's not necessarily a reference to nature, but here we go, okay? 
Drive and emotion. A bun on top of your head. Waiting for release. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad that that was, that was laughter, you know. I thought haiku incredible. was meant to be like people were meant to just sit there and like zen out after it. <laughs> oh, really? That was incredible. Mm. That was incredible. I can't lie that when you first said drive, I was like, oh, my God, like the van. <laughs> hey, it's loaded. It. It's layered. Yeah. 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 There's Double a lot meanings. to it. That's, I... Love it. I love it. And I absolutely love that you did so much research about what haiku were and found out about like the nature reference and everything. Very well done. Uh, yeah. I did about five minutes of research. Look, um, if you had done NCEA, you'd get achieved with excellence. Thank so. you. Didn't oh. do NCEA, final year of bursary actually, which will oh. give you some indication of how old I am. <laughs> Nick, you've really done all right there. Thank you. Tough act to follow. Let's go, Charlie. Oh, God, is it my turn? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Full bellies, bare bins, feeding smiles, volunteer love, real life, Kiwi hero. Oh, my god! Oh, gosh. I don't know about that last word. It was going so well until oh, the last word. Do you hate that? <laughs> oh, no, it's just there's been – it's just a word that's been used that I, I shy away from as much mm. as possible. I mean, I but get no, it, yeah. I, I appreciate I but appreciate. But also, it. Nick, yeah. Nice, Thank full you. of imagery. I like that. Like, I love the beautiful images in your one. It's a lot more meaningful when someone you know uses the term and not mm. uh, some other yeah. organisation or whatever, you know. Mm. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> I've, I've since written two haikus and I think that I'm kind of like... <laughs> Getting into it. Oh, God. So thank you. Of course oh. this would be Nick. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the best thing I've heard on this podcast so far that I've inspired someone to write hey, more Hey, that's top poetry? secret. Oh. That is top secret. <gasps> really? You can't yeah. share? Mm, I don't feel comfortable sharing. Oh, okay. We can talk about it off air. Maybe. Yeah, what do you reckon? <laughs> comfortable talking. Very comfortable talking about it off air. Okay. Okay, Great. cool. Oh. Everybody's going to be like, I need to find out. But I, I, Nick wrote haiku <laughs> I don't tap into creativity that much mm. because I'm practical and rational. Mm. And it's really, mm. but I am, I, I think that I'm somewhat creative, but oh. I just don't flex that ever. Like I don't use that muscle. Yeah. So when I find an opportunity to do it and it feels good, I want to do more of it. I'm so glad you say that. But at the same time, I'm going to like, dramatically disagree with you on the fact that you say that you're not creative mm. because this is something that I've been thinking about with this podcast coming up because I was like you two are wildly different guests to who I usually have on and I'm like no you two are extremely creative because you've come up with these like very creative albeit well-researched and academic solutions to like problems that exist in our society that's creativity right like it's not necessarily writing haiku or like painting or playing an instrument or whatever, but that's creativity. So I've got to disagree with you. I think you're a very creative person, just not in the like arty way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a different type of creativity and I'll, and I'll acknowledge that. Um, you know, it's taking inspiration from somewhere and changing it slightly. And mm. I guess that's what arty creativity can be as mm. well. But mm. I guess when you're, when you're asked to write a haiku mm. about someone, the canvas is pretty blank. Mm. Um, mm, and mm. you can go anywhere with it. Mm. And I think that's that was really enjoyable for me mm. um, because I don't get to go there in my head mm. ever. 
Mm. But there's actually nothing stopping me from going there. Oh. So maybe I will, um, you know, become a, so a haiku um, poet. I'm yeah. so pleased. I'm so pleased. So pleased that I've inspired someone to write poetry. That's all I want to do with my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you enjoy writing your haiku, Charlie? I did. It was, for me, I kind of, I struggled with, um, I kind of write as an outlet. Mm. Like, just to relate, like, mm. kind of monumental things that happen in my life, I'll mm. often write and then I'll read back. And I enjoy that. But mm. I kind of struggled with, um, for those, for those, the writing references I'm talking about, mm. they are quite, um, oh, what's the right word? Raw. Mm. So I kind of struggled to keep it, like, quite... Um, Structured. Uh, yeah, and like, because mm. um, when I write, it's just for me. Mm. Whereas this, I knew mm. I was going to have to read out, and mm. also that it doesn't rhyme. Mm. It's a no-no, apparently. My mm. head was just taking me there, like, oh, like the f the first line I was going to use your actual tagline, but then I was, but then I was like, oh, I can't really rhyme it, and then I realised I didn't really need to rhyme it. So then I was like, well, oh, let's just be a bit more creative and switch it around slightly. But it was, I was struggling to just write those three lines and be like, this doesn't need to rhyme, this doesn't need to rhyme. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. To your point about, you know, when you write, you write raw, direct, you write for yourself. That's really interesting because for me, I, I don't notice it, but I'm told that I'm very direct and I'm straight to the point. And um, so when you're writing a haiku, the whole purpose is to not be to the point and to be mm -hmm. more abstract and... So that was really interesting going into that space and mm. trying to not be, even though it's probably quite direct, trying to get into there. Because I, mm. I read a few, since I've gotten into haiku, <laughs> <laughs> I've, read, um, I've read a couple and some of them are super hard to follow. Like mm. they jump around as well. Mm. And I mm. think, yeah, trying to kind of emulate that was, was very hard. You did very well. I'm very proud of you both. Thank you so much. Oh, really? Mine yeah. was good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. I definitely got a, a like, clear image and emotion from yours. So, yeah. I'll absolutely. just switch out the hero word. <laughs> it's fine. It's, um, okay. I was kind of joking when I said that. Okay. But I understand, I, I understand your resistance to that word, but I feel like, yeah, when Charlie says it, it's okay. Well, I kind of see it firsthand. I don't think anyone wants to be called a hero. Not a true hero. <laughs> You're a fake. <laughs> okay, yeah, I suppose that you've got a point. But, you know, you're both heroes to me. Oh, God. <laughs> I think your, um, your walking of the walk is heroic. I think the fact that you haven't purchased clothing for three years is pretty incredible and... I think a lot of people, when they look at the founder of a charity, want to see someone who is very much the essence of what they're delivering. Mm. And, um, and I think that's why you will be really successful. Thanks, Nick. Aww. How nice is that? You guys are so sweet. <laughs> that's really nice to hear. Thanks. You will. And Wellington, you're going to smash it. Oh, yeah. I know, I'm actually yeah. really looking forward to it. I just feel like it's just all going to unravel and I'm just going to be like, of course I'm supposed to be here doing this. Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, might wrap it up there, guys, if you feel good about that. I feel great. <laughs> yeah, that was Thank great. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to sit back and um, just talk for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't really ever happen. And like we've, <laughs> we've never done anything like that. I mean, yeah, together. So it's nice. Aw. Thanks, guys. We're about, have you ever taken a photo together? Mm, probably. <laughs> we would have. Do you reckon? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what we're about to do. Okay. <laughs>